Smartcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Levinter. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, the podcast where we speak to all kinds of great creators and pioneers doing amazing things in business and beyond. Listeners can now support the continued growth of the show thanks to our friends at Glow. The whole thing takes about 60 seconds. If you're interested, go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2. If you enjoy the content we are producing here and E2 is a part of your pod routine, check it out. This episode is brought to you in part by GoHenry. GoHenry is on a mission to help millions of kids be good with money. They offer a debit card and app with parental controls designed specifically for children aged 6 to 18. Kids use the card just like an adult, although they can't run into debt and can only spend under the rules and limits set by their parents. Parents use the app to set automatic allowances and chores, put caps on a child's weekly spending, or decide where the card can be used. Kids also get a great deal with a customized debit card with their name on it, along with an app to help them learn how to manage their money. This is way more than a digital piggy bank. It's really a complete money management tool. It's 2020, so get financially fit and make allowance easy and fun. Go to GoHenry.com. That's GoHenry.com. Today is my conversation with Scott Marcasio, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the budding lifestyle physical therapy brand, MyoDetox. Now operating 10 locations across Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Toronto, the company offers a unique hands-on therapy system that focuses on resolving injuries and optimizing one's body delivered by best-in-class physical therapists. Through the power of call-it brand-first approach and industry-leading social media strategy, Scott has led MyoDetox to forge ongoing partnerships with global brands, including Nike, Equinox, Lululemon, and others. In this one, we cover some very interesting ground on all things physical therapy, including the pull of Instagram as a customer acquisition and awareness tool, the explosion of boutique fitness, Think Orange Theory, Berries, CrossFit, and the like. Building a business with purpose, cultural differences related to doing business in the U.S. versus Canada, and way more. So with that long-winded intro out of the way, here is Scott Marcasio. I did a little research on on myodetox, of course, but I think the origin story will be better told by you. 
So uh, how did you and, and Vin come together as co-founders and, and what was the gap in, in the market that you identified? So, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because I think the, the journey has been very organic and I, I actually had no intentions to ever be back in the healthcare space. Um, I had personal training when I was younger and just really enjoyed health and fitness generally, but it didn't feel like a career path for me. Um, so when I met Vin, I was actually working for a European telecom business um, dealing with fiber optics and, and wireless infrastructure. And for a couple of years, um, was having chronic back pain. And through that experience, became very acquainted with the therapy industry. Um, and I was kind of going through this frustrated consumer cycle of trying to understand who do I go to? So I ended up going to physical therapists and chiropractors, and massage therapists and osteopaths and athletic trainers and uh, became very well versed in um, how strange and fragmented the industry was. And, you know, from a consumer's choice standpoint, all I'm looking for is who can actually solve this problem for me. Um, and it wasn't until I had a mutual friend actually introduce me to Vin, who's a, a physical therapist and my business partner, um, that I was able to find someone that was able to really fully get me out of pain. Um, and something that he was doing that was quite different was, um, I think he took a, a much more kind of comprehensive, holistic view of the body. And had been training with people outside of his discipline. So traditionally in the industry, physios generally like to learn from physios and chiros learn from chiros and massage therapists from massage therapists. And he was breaking down those barriers and trying to learn uh, anything from anyone. And when I met Vin, he was uh, what I would call a disgruntled uh, therapist. He was six or seven years into the field. I'm not sure how much you know, you've been exposed to the field, but it's traditional business model runs a little bit like an insurance mill. Mm -hmm. So if you're a therapist, you're, you're generally seeing three to five people per hour, generally spending 15 minutes max with somebody before um, handing them off to an assistant or putting them onto a machine. And the quality of care is just not there. So when I met him, he was just working out of a condo in City Place, doing one-on-one -on -one sessions for an hour. Um, we really hit it off. And I just think his approach uh, not only worked for me, but it resonated with me because it was much more about preventive care. And it's like, okay, I, I understand you injured your back, but let's let's rewind and figure out why did this happen in the first place? And I think a lot of the traditional model is about let's get you from minus 15 back to zero. He was talking a lot about let's get you back to zero and then let's get you plus 10, right? Let's figure out how this never happens again. Ben and I were just always chatting about business and it, it got to a point where I ended up coming on. Uh, I put some money in the first clinic. There was no intentions to scale it more than one unit. Uh, and what Ben was doing at the time that was interesting um, was doing a lot of Instagram marketing. And he was one of the first therapists putting out content via Instagram. Uh, when I met him, he had a few thousand therapists Sorry, a few thousand followers on Instagram. And fast forward four years later, he's got uh, close to 600,000. Um, has essentially built the largest physical therapy account out there. And uh, that ended up snowballing the brand and the opportunity. And we were able to sit, you know, sit there from one clinic, having this huge reach, especially into the US, and start to think about what happens if we scale this concept of boutique, high-touch, one-on-one care. Let's just go back to, to the who do I go to question that mm -hmm. most people that are seeing therapists are facing what sorts of questions were you asking of practitioners when you were going through this yourself and what sorts of questions do you suggest that people ask of their practitioners to somehow gain some understanding as to whether or not they're seeing the right person in the first place i think you know when i when i reflect back to essentially being an uninformed consumer at that point you're almost delegating this authority around your body to these different people and you don't really know how to qualify who's good and who's not Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was actually one of the pain points that we recognized in the marketplace that there has yet to be a trusted brand. How the therapy industry works today is it's all 
lay people network. If you hit, hurt your shoulder, you're going to start asking around your, to your friends of like, hey, did you ever deal with an injury? And that's how most people end up finding their therapist. They, they find a friend who glows about an individual and they end up getting lucky and, and finding the right person. And that's essentially how I found Vin. I was just continuing to ask my friends and um, you know, stumbled upon him. So I got lucky. And I think a lot of people do get lucky. And as we recognize that pain point, we said, can we create a curriculum and a system that you know, we feel good. We've got about 100, just over 100 therapists in our system right now. And, you know, I feel confident sending somebody to any of them because we know that there's a certain threshold in which they've been trained. So if, if I was sitting as a client and saying, who do I go to? First thing I would look for is find people that focus more on manual therapy, which is away from the assistants, away from the machines. They're spending real quality time with you. And there is there's a ton of great therapists out there. But what we found is I think the people that are really focused on delivering the best quality outcomes and not really playing the insurance game are generally uh, the manual therapist in a one-on-one setting. So checkbox number one should be if you're spending that first session with someone, it should be minimum 45 minutes and ideally 60 minutes that that therapist needs to get a really comprehensive understanding of what's going on with you. And if it's your shoulder, that's that's a problem. It's not just about the shoulder. It's what's going on with the rib cage, what's going on with the hip, what's going on with lifestyle factors. If you have no knowledge if the therapist is good or not, first of all, understand, are they putting in the quality time and asking the right questions? And I think whether you have the background or not, you should be able to identify that. I think the second thing is, do they, do they give you a plan of attack, right? Is is there a clear resolution that, hey, here's what we're going to work on together for the next four to six weeks? Or are they kind of taking it session by session seeing, oh, here's, you know, we'll, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. I think the best therapists that we've been able to spend time with, they they clearly are able to articulate what the issue is and give the client a roadmap for how we're going to get you back to, you know, regular and beyond. So I think those are the two things that I would you know, face value looking, uh, how would grade a therapist? What was Vin's diagnosis of what was going on with your back? And to quote you, what was the plan of action going forward? So something that was quite unique is every single therapist I'd been through, and just maybe set some context on the injury, I tore my SI ligament. So it's kind of the top crest of the hip. I had injured some ligaments there. And every therapist I'd been to was working in the back muscles, the hip muscles, basically trying to balance out some tension in the back. And the first thing Vin did was looked at me from the very front and identified that there was a pretty big, called a spiral line contortion. So my abs were compensating dramatically. So his whole first hour with me, he worked on opening up my front line, which is all through my stomach, getting into the front hip flexors, everything. And really giving me that aha moment that actually a lot of my back pain was stemming from how my stomach had compensated. Whereas previous therapists I worked on, you know, I'd search for active release techniques and anyone that could actually like get their hands on. And they were all digging into like my deep back muscles and I got some temporary relief, but I, I kept getting back to the same baseline. To my knowledge, pro athletes are also experiencing these types of shortfalls when it comes to physical therapy as well. Like they're not getting crucial areas of their body worked on, correct? 100%. I think there's there's definitely a shift happening where pro athletes especially, I think are, are being much more uh, intelligent about how they approach the recovery. And it's not just like the post-workout rub down anymore, or the, you know, thinking about tension, but there, there's a lot more of a systemic approach that can be taken. So for example, Vin works with Chloe Kim, who's one of uh, Olympic gold medalist snowboarder, works with Chikorito, who's one of the best soccer players. You know, Johan Blake, who's an Olympic sprinter for the Jamaican team. And it's been interesting. The, the common thread through all these athletes he's been able to touch is that when you boil it down, it comes down to just, can we nail the, the fundamental movement patterns 
and get your body moving how it's supposed to. We can see that continuum even from the desk worker um, who's trying to do Barry's boot camp on the weekends. Like everybody just needs to be able to move optimally. And there is a, I think, a right and a wrong way to move. And I think as as we think about our therapists more as health coaches and, and behavior coaches, there's so many things that go into optimizing movement. Um, but it is interesting, you know, when you're working with pro athletes, it tends to be more exposed because they're, they're pushing their bodies right to the edge of, of what they're capable of. So Vin's got this unique ability with social and Instagram. And you come to the table and let's talk a little bit about how you guys grow this business. So what happens after you guys open this first location? So Vin already had uh, one physical therapist working with him. And we just saw this snowball effect of initial visits coming in the clinic, mostly because they want to learn from Vin. And then when Vin was busy, you know, want to, to work with anyone Vin had taught. And I remember the first year I was kind of sitting there shaking my head because we had people flying in from Germany. We had people driving up from the U.S. and like sitting in their cars for 10 hours straight just to get a one hour session. And it, it was just mind boggling the pull of Instagram. And this is especially in 2015, 2016. I think it was a much less crowded medium. And, you know, we got lucky. We, we hit it at the right time with the right content that the algorithm was rewarding and people were sharing bin left, right and center. And it, it created this, this brand momentum that even to today, we currently have close to, uh, we've got 10 locations. We'll be at 15 by the end of this year and in north of 200 employees right now. And even now we, we are so far behind on the business versus where the brand awareness is. So it's, it's been very much a case of of kind of chasing to keep up with the brand. And that's, I think, a function of when the brand messaging is resonating and you know, our tagline is future-proof your body. So I think you know, our core demographic of that 25 to 45-year-old really resonates with preventive care and they're spending more money on it. They're spending more time on it. So that, that's been a win for us. And then the second thing that's backing is just the product quality. People really appreciate, I think, dedicated care, one-on-one quality. So the combination of both of those has given us a little bit of a runaway effect. How do you scale this business model, considering that uh, you guys are, I'm assuming your treatments are so effective, people don't necessarily need to continuously come back? You know, as it's today, about 90% of our revenue is actually driven by repeat visits, which is incredibly high for kind of a brick and mortar four-wall four service business. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the education happens that if you come in with an injury, uh, maybe just for context, about 50% of people come in generally because they've had some sort of acute injury, you know, their knees bothering them in a berries class, or they were in a snowboarding accident or, or something is causing them pain, which is driving them to come in. And then I think what's unique about us on the other side, we've got about half of our clients come in for non-pain related reasons. So whether that's uh, related to posture, whether they just want to optimize movement and perform better, whether that's in a sport or just, you know, they're a weekend warrior that wants to keep doing what they're doing. So that that's been an interesting adjustment for us that we know if somebody's coming in for pain, they're probably going to front load six to 10 sessions. That's what it's going to take to get them out of pain. And through that six to 10 sessions, we really use that as an education phase mm -hmm. to teach them about what preventive care means. And I think it's interesting to us looking at human behavior. People go to the dentist every six months for a checkup. They get their oil changed every you know three to 12 months, depending on their car model. But nobody preventively goes in for a physical, you know, not talking about doctor, but a, a physical mechanical, what's going on with my body tune up. What are some of those common themes or those common ailments that, that you're seeing? So I think most common generally are uh, knees, lower back, neck, shoulders. But what has been really fascinating for us, especially the last two to three years, is the amount of neck issues occurring. And 
you know, separate from this business, I, I just think that we're in a really interesting time of behavior, like widespread behavioral addiction with smartphones and technology. And we're seeing the impact of that. And then second, I think there's been this explosion of boutique fitness the last five or six years, you know, Orange Theory Fitness, um, various bootcamps, SoulCycle. There's, there's these brands that have really penetrated the mainstream and are you know, quite intense, but people are doing them on a regular basis. So more, more people are pushing themselves in, in workouts than ever before. I think Instagram has <laughs> helped accelerate this, this concept of like fitness as a status symbol. You know, being rich is not really the thing to be cool anymore. It's like, are you healthy and fit and a kind person? And there's all these overarching themes that I think are shifting um, behavior and decision making um, for consumers. So it's it's been really interesting to just watch the impact of that at the clinic level and realizing that, especially in the millennial kind of cohort, they are spending more money than ever on their health and wellness. Do you guys have any opinions on which of these boutique boot campy gyms or mm-hmm. uh, workouts are safer or better for the body than others? It's less about broad strokes, what's safer and more about like what's right for the individual, right? Some people's bodies are really meant for CrossFit and they, they can go many, many years with pretty intense workouts and have no issues. Whereas other people, whether they don't have the joint mobility or the joint structure to be slogging heavy weights all the time, there's, there's a huge genetic component here. Mm-hmm. Um, and two is kind of the readiness factor, right? If, if you all of a sudden get inspired to run marathons, is your body ready to run marathons? Or is there a period of time for six to 12 months when you should really be optimizing your joint function, your mobility, all these things where you're going to be able to partake in that activity quite safely. So I think, you know, as a team, we all feel really excited that people are are working out and kind of taking their health more more seriously. So I think it's more about educating people on here's how you balance all that activity out, right? You, you can't run six days a week without taking care of your calf mobility and your ankle mobility and eating right and getting enough sleep and controlling stress level. So there's, there's a much broader kind of holistic wellness picture here that I think if people are tapped into, then, you know, I, I think all these things are, are just a relative safety piece. I don't think anything's generally that dangerous as long as somebody's ready for it. Yeah. How do you guys assess the second and third order health uh, and wellness factors? So, so you mentioned sleep is one of them. Uh, I would imagine psychology or mindset is another. How do you evaluate and or address those sorts of things? Yep. So I'll say first off, we we like to stay in our lane. I think we know what we're good at. And it's it's really you know, kind of playing within the scope of what a physical therapist does. But what we've really done is tapped community partners. So I'll give you an example. In the US, uh, there's a concept called Parsley Health. Um, I think they're doing a great job kind of reinventing primary care. So we've built great community relationships that if one of our therapists identifies that, you know, somebody is having lower back pain that may present us called a kidney issue, like we're going to get them referred out to the right person quickly. And I, th- I think it gets more of that broader mindset of how do we continue to reinforce the right health behaviors, less about us kind of assessing and judging it, but more on an ongoing basis. Like as people lean on our therapist as kind of a health authority in their life, how do we make sure that our therapists are as informed as possible and have the right referral networks to get that person to the right person if, if they're presenting with some issue? Another example is, uh, I can't speak too much to this right now, but we are going to be launching along with another group of partners with an app 
Um, that's going to be taking in a lot of wearable data. And what's going to be really interesting in this app is if somebody is presenting with like a high heart rate variability and showing that they're, they're clearly burned out or they're not recovering um, and they're doing that for two or three days in a row, it's going to allow us to nudge them to do more of a recovery content, sorry, recovery based day. So even though you might have been planning to do your, your PR squat lift on Thursday, you wake up Thursday morning and presented with two or three days of biomarkers that have been all over the place. Um, starting to nudge people into appropriate activities given the recovery, I think is the next phase of this that that we're really excited about and some stuff that we're going to be launching over the next three to six months to help us you know, take a step in that direction. You've got other partnerships with with very big brands, uh, including, just to name a few, Nike, Equinox, and Lululemon. Could you speak to what you guys are involved with here and what you're endeavoring to do as collaborators? Yeah. I mean, I think we've been very fortunate and excited about pretty early in the the brand history to be able to just collaborate with you know what I think are our beacon brands you know brands that have really pushed into the mainstream and have built platforms that we're able to leverage so Nike was exciting pretty early in the company in uh, early 2018 we started to do activations with them around certain events um, so today we've done done some really cool takeovers of of stores and large workshops around the Miami Marathon, the New York Marathon, Boston Marathon, uh, Chicago Marathon. And Nike has really brought us in as a thought partner and kind of an education uh, provider. So we will generally take over an entire store. I'll use Boston Marathon, for example. Um, we took over their entire Boston flagship store for two days um, over the, the marathon weekend and presented a whole series of workshops around running mobility, around shoe mechanics, around, um, we brought in some of the kind of best runners participating in Boston that were also Nike athletes and were able to run Q&A panels around the recovery and how they took care of their bodies. So it's been a really fun experience, I think, to to be able to partner with a brand that you know, we all grew up with and, and had so much um, passion for. Generally speaking, the way we look at them is they've been able to build this aspirational brand in a category that you know, it's so crowded. And I, I think when we we think about shifting the landscape of physiotherapy, and most people, when they hear that word, they think old and broken. Like those are the connotations. Whereas for us, we're using these branded partners like the Nikes, like the Lululemons, to shift the purchase behavior much younger and make people realize that that you know, for us, physiotherapy is one of the strongest superpowers. That if people tapped and understood what a good physiotherapist could have enable you to do, they would be in there much more often and much more frequently. So the the whole industry has had a messaging problem. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This holistic approach of of having, you know, physical therapy looked at as different layers of of practitioners 
you said you've gone from zero to a hundred therapists or so. And as you guys continue to scale uh, and work with this approach, how do you ensure that you are well distributed across these different uh, levels of expertise? Yeah, I think that's that's something we're constantly over investing in. I think we knew from early that to to scale a brick and mortar service business is not <laughs> you can't use the SaaS playbook where we're just right. accelerating user growth here. Mm-hmm. So I think a company that we've learned a lot from is Equinox, based in New York, luxury gym chain. They've got about a hundred clubs um, in North America and currently close to three thousand personal trainers, um, and well known in I would say the fitness industry as I think the most successful version of being able to scale a service, um, which is their personal training department. So I think we've taken a lot of cues from them around what's worked, what hasn't worked, how you're able to, you know, something I don't believe they have in Canada, but they have a lot in some of the major cities in the US is their TRX programming, which is kind of their their best of the best Jedi trainers that they invest a ton of money into for these trainers to understand sleep research and nutrition research and kind of how do you kind of create the most well-rounded, impactful trainer and it's been really interesting watching how they've evolved the business into the the model that they have today. So I think we've taken a lot of cues for understanding how do you roll out a curriculum at scale? How do you enforce quality? How do you keep a big team engaged? And there's all these subtleties of, uh, I just think, managing a lot of human beings that um, we've been able to shortcut a lot of the learnings from just, you know, whether it's our investors or advisors or working closely with companies like Equinox that have have built businesses that I think are quite analogous to what we're trying to build. How are you fostering engagement, for example, as you build a team? And how do you ensure that that some of these folks don't go elsewhere? So the first thing to understand is just the industry dynamics. Um, and it's a little bit different Canada to the US. But I'll use Canada as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you think about the broader physiotherapy industry, there's only a handful of places you can go work. You've got mom and pop operators that have one clinic. They may do it very, very well. But if you're a, a therapist treating there, there's not that much opportunity for advancement. Generally, the owner is the clinic director and you know you can end up making a little bit of money, but there's a, a clear ceiling for how much you can make. Um, two is there's a couple you know, kind of private equity backed roll-ups in Canada that generally are eating up every clinic chain more than three to five locations. So you can go work at one of those, but um, general pay is a little bit lower, um, and it, it's back to that traditional mill model. So there's there's this big gap in the industry where something that surprises a lot of people uh, is the average physiotherapist when they come into school they leave the industry within ten years, right? And and for us that was a real that, that was an interesting stat for us to to dig in on and understand like why are people leaving? And it comes down to they stay with an employer. There's a real glass ceiling. If they go out to start their own, by the time they save enough capital to start their own business, they're generally now in the, the tunnel on you know, a mortgage potentially, having a family and kids, and their risk tolerance has gone down mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's doubly so if they've come out of school with, with debt. So when we assessed all those factors and, and put them together, um, the thing that we tend to over-index on is, is career longevity and making sure there's a very clear path that if somebody starts with a company today as a new grad therapist, there should be a path for them over the next, call it, five to seven years to become a owner of a clinic, generally in a joint venture partnership with us. And there should be very clear steps of how they go from new grad to kind of a senior therapist to potentially a manager at a store level to the you know five to six regional more senior roles that we're you know, continuing to to offer up to the team as our regions develop and grow. And then beyond beyond that, potentially putting some money into an individual clinic. So for us, we've we've tried to harness 
because we hire a younger demographic, we, we end up attracting therapists kind of in that zero to five year window, I think, because they like the, you know, the edginess of the company and, you know, just that there's, there's a lot of exciting brand partnerships that we have going on. And once they step into the ecosystem, if we can clearly show them a path for how their career is going to progress with us, um, that's done a lot from an engagement and um, buy-in level. And I think that's, that's what they're not getting from our competitors. For us, we're just trying to create a very standardized playbook that when people come in, they can rely on kind of the roadmap for how they get from A to Z. And Z being, you know, that may not be clinic ownership. It may be that they want to learn great management skills, right? They want to learn to manage a PNL at a store level. Right? And there's all these these skills that we start very early when people start uh, working with us to teach them business fundamentals. And we recognize a lot of these therapists may not be therapists in 10 or 15 years. So if we can equip them with the, the small business skills to understand how a business works and runs, not only are they going to become much better managers while they're with us, but I think we really set them up for success for whatever comes next for them. I know Dan Pink's drive was a big influence for you. Uh, in this yep. regard, can you can you speak to some of the key takeaways from that book and how they apply here? Hundred mm-hmm, percent. So I think if you boil Dan's work down, you know you think about intrinsic motivation, how you really open the the floodgates for someone. It comes back to three points, which is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And autonomy being, do people feel like they've got a choice? Kind of the path that they're going down, they have the opportunities to to learn and fail and discover in their own way. Mastery is, is there a clear path for them to become better at what they're doing? I think this is very clear when you're a brand new therapist, there's three to five years of technical development in front of you of just developing your skills at how to manage and treat and take care of your clients. So I think that's an easy one to check in this industry. And then purpose is number three is what are we doing this for? And I, you know, we, we talk to a lot of therapists that have worked for great clinics uh, but at the end of the day, they feel the motivation for the clinic owner is to you know, pay for their, their own mortgage and take their vacations and that's it. And I think for us, the broader purpose of what we're trying to do of really shifting the industry and, and, and changing at the end of the day, changing how people think about taking care of their bodies is, is really appealing. And some of the stuff that we've done to tap the purpose piece of that equation is um, about six months ago, we sent a team over to Nigeria. We've been working with the uh, medical board in Nigeria and the government to train their physical therapists because in a country of, I think it's close to 20 million people, uh, they've only got about a hundred physiotherapists that get very, very basic training. So we actually sent a group of our therapists over and trained almost every therapist in Lagos, Nigeria for two weeks straight on kind of our manual therapy and corrective exercise skills so that they had a better toolbox um, in their rural clinics so that when people came in to present with injuries, they had a much better toolbox for how to address that. And that was infinitely satisfying, I think, for a lot of our therapists. And I think there's this this philanthropic piece to the business that is growing quickly. We've got trips planned to Jamaica in April this year, where we're doing something similar. Um, And then we've been in talks with the uh, governments in Tanzania and Rwanda to do something similar. So I think as, as we think about where is this business going, domestically, I think there's a ton of exciting business opportunities and and management skill opportunities and areas where a therapist can feel truly challenged. Um, But I think on a broader, what are we doing and why do we exist? I think these sorts of projects get people really feeling that they're showing up and they're they're making a real difference. Uh, Evidenced by, like you said, your brand equity, the amount of followers you have, the amount of therapists that come in the front door uh, wanting to work for MyoDetox. So uh, kudos to you and, and your team for we're doing that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I, I want to ask you about your expansion. So mm-hmm. 
10 locations so far. What does expansion look like in 2020? And how do you fund this type of growth? Yeah, so we've, uh, maybe just for context, we started the company in 2015. And, you know, I, I think this has been very much a case of the further you go, the further you can see. We got so fortunate along the way to find great mentors from companies like Orange Theory Fitness and Barry's Bootcamp and Equinox and Core Power Yoga and people that have built significant brand equity at scale in a brick and mortar business. And I think that's a, a piece of advice that I always try to give most entrepreneurs is like find the people that have I've kind of wrote this story before and they will help shortcut so many of the learnings and the mistakes that you're liable to make. So uh, we were fortunate along this, this path to find those people and that's really helped inform how we think about expansion. And as far as where we sit today, I think you know, over the next two years, we're still in the, the building the brand phase and in building the brand, it's so critical to have the brand in front of, kind of the tastemakers and influencers and people driving culture. So you know, by the end of 2020, we've got um, our first store in Manhattan that's going to be opening up in, in fall of this year. We've got a few more uh, in key locations in LA that are going to be opening up. And just last week, we actually opened a, a flagship in Yorkville Village in Toronto, which right across from the Equinox there, and I think has been great just from uh, reinforcing our brand positioning there. So as I think about growth over the next two years, a lot of it is continuing to just infill these key markets, probably open in San Francisco, um, and then a, a couple secondary and health and wellness markets, potentially Denver, Seattle are our markets we have our eye on. One of the, the biggest challenges for us was the jump from Canada to the US. We're actually the first Canadian therapy company that ever attempted that one. And it's it's been a lot of learning. And it took us, uh, we opened about a year ago, our West Hollywood location and many, many lessons learned uh, over the first year. And I think we're now feeling really good about putting the accelerator down a little bit faster on the growth. But the the real intention here is to open you know, let's say 60 to 70 stores domestically over the next five years. And we've got you know plan in place to do that. We, we see this huge opportunity to become the trusted brand in the space on the back of this explosion of boutique fitness and, you know, people just, just needing a trusted source of where do I take care of my body? The second piece regarding the funding, um, you guys were bootstrapped early on and you've spoken about this, but, you know, at some point I would imagine uh, this becomes very capital intensive so uh, are, are you guys pursuing the venture path? Yeah. So the first three, almost three and a half years, Vin and I bootstrapped everything and lived the startup life of maxing out credit cards and a lot of credits and living very small. And it was dark, painful times. But I think that created a discipline and thoughtfulness around resource allocation that's really served us well. Um, so in mid to end of 2018, we brought on our first capital round. We raised uh, about two and a half million bucks US from most of, most of our advisors and um, you know a lot of I would say health and fitness execs, a lot of C level execs came in from Core Power Yoga, Equinox, SoulCycle, just people that have built the types of brands that we aspire to be one day. Um, and we are very fortunate with I think a lot of a lot of the right people coming around the table with us um, at that point. So we we really use that round in parallel to get our U.S. operations off the ground. We started to hire more of a management team at that point. Which, as as the business starts to grow and develop into dozens and dozens of people, like you, are forced to put some you know proper management structure in place and systems. And we're currently finishing off our our second round as well right now with uh, a good chunk of existing investors, management teams putting up some money and bringing some new faces around the table. So it's it's not 
would say venture money because it's typically very time bound and you've got a bit of, you know, gun to your back to grow as fast as possible. And for us, yep. we've been really thoughtful with bringing on, you know, I'd say patient capital, uh, mostly from individuals that fully believe in the mission and kind of see the the long-term game that we're playing here. You know, this is, this is a business that's, that takes time to scale. We're going to do it, I'd say faster than any business um, competitive to us will do, but I, I just think there's a, there's an optimal speed of growth here. And as soon as we start feeling like we're getting over our skis a little bit, we just need to pull back. So it's, it's a bit of a finesse game to make sure we're growing at the right speed that the people on the team are feeling, you know, challenged, but not overwhelmed that the therapists see clear growth opportunities and we're able to bring them those growth opportunities in a timely manner. So it's a bit of art and science, but yeah, I think the thought is through a little bit more external capital plus because we're in the healthcare space, we're able to get fairly good terms on debt, so we can be, you know, thoughtful through both external capital and uh, using debt on some of the stores, and we should be in good shape to continue the growth. Let me come back to some of the issues opening in the U.S., which you mentioned. How much research was involved in determining how each state differs from the next, and why California is the first one? Yeah, so the the U.S. is a it's almost a hodgepodge of fifty countries when it comes to thinking about medical and regulatory issues. So spent probably the better part of a year just getting myself acquainted with what we are walking into before we pulled the trigger on kind of moving forward. And it, it was a big step. If we had not raised external capital, I probably it wouldn't have been able to justify like just, just to get things set up properly, you know, on the cross-border tax optimization and regulatory piece and make sure we we're just in bounds on everything and anything we we're doing. You know, my upfront legal investment was probably close to 150 K us. Um, so it's it's a decision, right? And that decision was made because you know the hypothesis is growth in the U.S. is going to be much more value accretive to the, the entire business if we can get this right, and if we can demonstrate uh, you know proof of concept across two countries, and by the end of this year we'll be across four regions. Uh, we start to collect some real proof points of what the the real potential of this business can be. And as as exciting as it is for myself to even to be Canadian and to have a Canadian company that's now expand down here. The reality is, you know, a lot of U.S. investors will look at Canada and no matter how big of a business you grow in Canada, they, they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, that's cute. Right? And it's just living in the, the U.S. for the last year, I think it's really helped inform my understanding of the difference between kind of U.S. and Canadian business culture. And I, you know, I, I think it's just so important for us to, as we think about the long-term value of the company and, and what this can be when it it fully grows up. If, if we didn't take that jump to the U.S., uh, it really handicaps just the, the brand awareness, the, the ability to open a ton of stores. And I just, I think growing up as a Canadian, uh, it just doesn't click how big the U.S. opportunity is until you've really spent some significant time down here. So these cultural business differences, could you describe some of them? And were they a surprise to you? So I think I had a interesting perspective on this because prior to my detox, I'd actually worked for a Hong Kong company. And then I was living over in Finland and Sweden for work for a while. So I was able to get exposure to Asian business culture, European business culture, and then Canada and the US. So it's been really interesting to kind of compare and contrast all of these. But I, I think at the biggest thing that that is different between Canada and the US is US is very transactional. And there is a speed at which you can get things done down here, which you cannot do in Canada because Canada is much more about relationship building before we do business. And I think it surprised me sometimes in the U.S. of how quick people are like ready, ready to jump into business together because they're they're kind of chasing this common aspiration. 
Whereas you know, Canada is much more of like a, a know you, like you, trust you, get, get to really feel you out before we commit to doing something together. And the consequence is that things move much slower. And even with raising capital, we've raised you know, probably 90% of our capital in the US because it's, you know, there's just like a level of ambition, risk taking, however you want to you frame it. Um, and it's been a good adjustment for me because I generally move fairly fast paced and I enjoy the culture down here. And it's really taught me of, I think, the differences. And then it's, it's taught me like coming back to my team in Canada because most of our management team is Canadian. Uh, it's been really interesting. Just I think Canadians are much more deferential. We, we are consensus seeking. We like to make sure everyone feels heard. And these are all, I think, very powerful business traits if there's a sense of urgency. Where I think Canadian businesses get killed is that if there is no sense of urgency, they can get stuck in the mud seeking consensus for weeks and months. And it's, I think, running a company now in both countries, uh, for us, we're, we're really looking to just find that balance where you know, make sure we're taking decisive action, make sure people feel heard, and, and finding that balance in the continuum where you know, we're not alienating people by moving too quick, but we're not kind of killing our speed of execution by, by waiting on consensus. So as I said, it's, it's kind of art and science, but it's been a really interesting, interesting thing to, to play in both sandboxes. How do you look at this, Scott, personally, for you as an entrepreneur, heading down to the US, physically based there now full time? How do you think about your next five or 10 years? The nice thing about LA is people come here constantly. So it's really expanded my ability to network quickly and build a lot of ties into the private equity world and VC world. And you know, there's kind of a lot of personal interest in, in neuroscience and emotional trauma. And there's just so many things going on in LA, which is really fun to tap into. Um, and I, because I've now built the network here, I feel much more confident that you know if I move up to Vancouver in the next year, which is generally the plan, I kind of have a base here of, of my network built and it's a lot easier to stay tapped into everything going on. And it's something as simple as something I didn't realize until I moved to LA. Most of the networking here happens through dinners, whether that's CEO dinners or CFO dinners or whatever. And if, if you don't live here, you don't get invited to that stuff. And it's, it's been such a night and day. As soon as I showed up, all of a sudden, every week, I'm getting invites to you know, three to five events and you know, network just exponentially blew up. And it's things like that, that now that I'm in the community and people know that I'm down here, whether I live here or not, I'm still going to get access to that stuff and I'll be down here often. So I think from a, I think from a career standpoint, my ID talks are not, I, I just encourage people to take that jump. And I think the level of resourcefulness you build in yourself to be able to just be dropped in a new city and have to figure it out. And especially for a Canadian being dropped in the US city, um, it'll change you for the better. And I feel so grounded that wherever I end up, you know, I've kind of built that sense of resourcefulness and ability to trust in my faculties. So I, I do expect over the next five years to not say slow down, but probably redivert some of my efforts. I think I'm over-indexing on work right now, given that I want to have a family over the next three to five years and you know, get as much of the, <laughs> say the work done now so I can spend some quality time with them. But I, I just am so excited about where the business world is going with clean technology and a lot of the thinking around the environment and how do we attack climate change and social inequality. And I just think that this next phase for me, you know, however long I'm leading the charge at my talks, whether it's another five or 10 years, that second act around kind of solving the world's large problems is, is really interesting to me. And I, I feel like the ability to kind of use the business skills that we've, we've all learned, our whole team has learned going through this adventure, I think just gives us a lot of opportunity to pivot into whatever projects come up. 
Yeah, that's that's great perspective. In the last few minutes, where do you want to point listeners to for more info on MyoDetox, either in the US or, or in Canada? Yeah, I think Instagram is kind of our home of where we, we like to tell the brand story often. So you can just go to Instagram.com forward slash MyoDetox. Um, if you are in Toronto, Vancouver, LA, come and check out one of the clinics. Most excited. I mean, West Hollywood is an incredible location, but uh, most excited about our Yorkville location that opened in, in the middle of Toronto uh, a few weeks ago. And um, I think it most reflects you know, what the brand uh, has become and continues to evolve into. So we're really excited about that. And, and New York should be coming online shortly. So if you refine yourself in one of those four cities, please come check it out. Just want to mention folks can also watch and follow you on YouTube. And you guys document a lot of your stuff uh, as it relates to growing MyoDetox as a company uh, via video. We're, we're really trying to show the work, I think, behind the company, not just not just on the business, but our therapists and how they, you know, something I'm really excited about that we're doing this year is we're actually going to be kind of following the story of five of our therapists and how they like progress through the company. A little bit more of a docu-series just to show therapists like, here's the skills you need to develop. Here's the mentalities, the mindsets. Here's what you're going to struggle with, right? Here's tools you can use to overcome. Um, and just bring this like human lens to an industry that, as I mentioned earlier, it's just been very, very mechanical and very kind of like a mill. And I think that's our biggest goal is if we can, we can serve the therapist, you know, everything else falls into place. Well, Congratulations, man, on, on all you guys are doing. Um, super exciting about the docu-series. Great stuff. And uh, I, I'm wishing you guys, uh, you and Vin and the rest of your team, huge success, both in 2020 and beyond. So congratulations and well done. Thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate you having us on. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase. Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. If you like E2, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio. Leave us a review. Even become an exclusive supporter of the show. Visit glow.fm slash E2 to do so. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.